Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to Psalm 37. Psalm 37, and we're going to end up in 1 Samuel chapter 27. Psalm 37 and 1 Samuel chapter 27 in a Bible study that I've entitled, There's Nothing Better for Me Than to Trust God. There's nothing better for me than to trust God. And we're in these times that are unsettling and troubling, and it's in times like these that the Word of God gives us the anchor we need to settle our souls. I found this scripture in Colossians chapter 3, verse 14. It says, But above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, that whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We need to have our souls settled by faith, to trust him. Like he says here, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, The idea behind that picture of rule is let let the peace of God control and be an umpire in your hearts, being able to distinguish how to respond in unsettling times and with difficult circumstances. With so much swirling around us, it's easy to be blinded from seeing and resting in and enjoying the faithfulness of God. You know, circumstances can blind us. I mean, you think about the size of your hand. If you position your hand properly, you can cover both your eyes and see absolutely nothing. I mean, your hand is so small compared to everything around you, but in the right position, it can blind you. And there are those times when circumstances overwhelm us and they just come upon us and we are overwhelmed by them so that we don't see or feel or recognize or enjoy the faithfulness of God. It makes us worried. And anxious, scary times. In Psalm 139, verse 23, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. Or in Psalm 42, verse 5, Why am I so discouraged? And why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God, and I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. It's Amazing the days we're living in, isn't it? I don't know. I can't find another word. It's a little overused, but I I haven't been able to find another word to describe the days in which we live other than unprecedented. They're unprecedented days. Globally, personally, as a church, individually, they're, they're unprecedented. But even in our own unprecedented days, every generation has had their unprecedented days. It's not just us. I mean, I know it feels like it. It is us for the first time or for the second or third time we're really living through some great crisis. But every generation of believers have had unprecedented times, have had to face situations that required great faith and great strength and a call upon the name of the Lord for hope to run to him 
as a place of refuge, a tower of strength. And here we are for a couple years now, really facing unusual circumstances. And many have been asking the question, how am I supposed to respond? What am I supposed to do? And I think Psalm 37 is a great example of what you can do in response to difficult times. Now, I'm not going to exegete it and go through it, but I do want to read to you at least 14 things he tells you here, that how you can respond in difficult times. And by the way, David wrote this psalm, and we don't know much about the timing of it, when he wrote, but I can see him writing this as a response to the chapter we're going to study today. How these would be much better responses than the response that we see in David's life as we'll see in our text in a moment. But notice verse 1 in Psalm 37. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light, your justice as the noonday. Verse 7, rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Verse 8, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. Here we have insight of what to be careful in with difficult times. How to respond properly. Notice he mentions do not fret three times. Don't worry. Trust in the Lord. Feed on his faithfulness. But also he also mentions in verse 8, cease from anger. You know, that's something that the world is filled with right now. Angst and anger and frustrations of all the different changes and all the difficulties and all the decisions. It's something that we as the church share with the world. We have our own angst in how we respond and what we're facing. But, but listen, you're different than the world. Don't ever forget that. The church is distinct from the world. See, the world can respond without any rules, without any regulations. As a matter of fact, when the world sets up rules and regulations, they have a tendency to change them along the way. But you and I, we live in a higher standard. We have hope. We, we, experience, we experience the difficulties of this world with hope. We know that we're just passing through. We know that there is a new world coming. We know that Jesus Christ is returning. We know that he is faithful never to leave or forsake us, to take care of our every need. We know these things. And so church, the word to you is cease from anger. The Bible says that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It just doesn't. Now I know some of you go, well, wait a minute, Ed, Ed, it says in the Bible that you can be angry and not sin. The challenge with that is it's just a very fine line between anger and sin. And you want to just be careful with, well, you can't nurture that anger, you can't nurture that angst because you know where it's headed. It's headed towards sin. And here we are, a generation under great stress, And the problem is this, here's the issue that we really wrestle with, and that is, we can get caught up in the emotion of it all. And emotions can run high, all the hardships, all the impossibilities. And then we begin to think, you know, it's over, there's no more hope, not what's going to happen, 
I don't know how it's all going to turn out. I can't go on any longer. I finally come to the end. And I was praying this morning. I wonder how many of you woke up today and your, your, your thought was, hey, I, I can't take it. Any, I'm not going to, no longer. Uh, this is the end. It's the end. It's the end of my marriage. The end of my ministry. The, the end of my hope. My future. And it's in moments like that a real temptation comes your way to take things into your own hands, to try to fix things, to try to manipulate things, to try to adjust them and control them, trying to get back on top to a place of comfort and ease and control. But listen, through the circumstances of your life, God is at work. And he's bringing you and me to a place where we come to the end of ourselves, It's not a popular place. Not everybody wants to be at the end of themselves. To a place of, you could say, the end of yourself, you could replace that with God's bringing us to a place of absolute surrender. A place where it's not you and God, it's just God. It's not you and what you have to offer, it's what He has. It's not you and your mental intellect and your experience and all that you have to offer, but rather God has allowed circumstances to bring us to the end of ourselves to an absolute place of surrender. Now, haven't you found this to be true? I'm quoting it. I don't know who said it, but I'm quoting it. Until we come to the end of ourselves, we really don't experience the power of God, end quote. It's at the end of ourselves that we really begin to live in a place of trust and hope. As Pastor Chuck Smith has taught us, all that we're going through today is preparation for what God has for us in the future. Let me quote to you from his book, Why Grace Changes Everything, and I quote, I look back and see momentous events that didn't seem so momentous at the time. Now I realize that these incidents were a crossroads in my life that helped to shape and determine my destiny. Looking back, I can see the hand of God in each of these situations, although at those times I didn't realize God's hand was anywhere nearby. I thought God had deserted me, but now I see how God was working in every difficult circumstance in my life to prepare me for the work that he ordained for me. It's an exciting thing to recall some of the decisions I made at critical moments and realize that God's hand was leading me all along. We sing the song, All the Way My Savior Leads Me, and in hindsight, I can testify that God's hand was upon my life from the beginning. Sometimes God supernaturally intervened to protect me, He had a special work for me to do, and listen, he was fitting me for that work, end quote. God is fitting you today for the work that he has for you. He's using every circumstance that he's allowed into your life, perhaps some circumstances he's sent into your life to fit you for the work that he has for you on the earth. We're living in a difficult day, days of preparation, days of dependence, and days of repetitive, utter surrender to our loving and faithful God. But whenever we're about to take things in our own hands, we're on the verge of making a tragic mistake. Whenever we begin to think that it is now time for me to step in in place of God, tragedy awaits. And how much better and how much wiser and how much stronger to commit our ways unto the Lord trusting always in him, and let him bring things to pass, rather than take things into my own hands 
and try to act on my own way and to be my own defense and use my own controlling ways, I can trust in a God who's wonderful, reliable, and utterly faithful in every way. Which brings us to 1 Samuel chapter 27, an incident and an episode in the life of David that was tragic. It was tragic because God was allowing things in his life to bring him to the end of himself, and he yielded to the temptation to take things into his own hands. Notice with me in chapter 27, verse 1, 1 Samuel. And David said in his heart, mark those words, David said in his heart, now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. And Saul will despair of me to seek me any more in any part of Israel. So I shall escape out of his hand. Then David arose and went over with the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. So David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. Verse 4. And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. This is a great failure in the life of David. A wave of discouragement and depression descends upon him. Perhaps reminiscent of Psalm 13, verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my own soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord, my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. David has been on the run for many years now from King Saul. Literally, there is a death sentence placed upon the head of David. And Saul is using all his kingly power to chase him down. Up to this point, God has miraculously kept David safe. As a matter of fact, there was one episode in David's life where he could have taken the life of Saul. But his faith was so strong that instead of taking the life of King Saul and thrusting himself upon the throne, he cuts a little portion of the garment off from a cave and brings it back and shows King Saul, hey, I could have taken care of you, but I chose not to. But he's in a different place now. It's gotten really, really hard for a long time. No relief. You know, you don't need a global difficulty to live that kind of life. Some of you have... Yeah, that's been your life for many years now. It's been extremely hard for a long time with little to no relief. And you're discouraged. And you're depressed. Perhaps even despondent. Well, you know, David's in that place and he's looking at his life, even as you do. And he begins to assess the situation. He's thinking about it processing it, and he comes to a conclusion. It's a false conclusion, but he comes to a conclusion nonetheless. He looks at his life and goes, you know what? I can't run forever. I'm tired. Can't do it. Saul's going to kill me one day. I've got a plan. What was his plan? Well, if you paraphrase verse 1, it would sound something like this. I think I'll run away and hide with the enemy. I think I'll run away and hide among the enemy. The enemies of God, the Philistines, the Philistines were God-haters. 
They were a portion of the pagans of the day. They had no desire, no, 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 no desire whatsoever for the God of Israel or the people of Israel. And here he is. I'll think I'll run to the enemy for protection. That's who will protect. God will no longer protect me. But the enemy, the Philistines, the ones that hate me, the ones that hate my God, they might protect me. And we look at David and go, how could you do that, David? But we have to stand and look ourselves in the mirror and go, oh, not David, but you. How many times have you found yourself in a place of great discouragement, no longer trusting in the Lord? You got to understand something. David loved God. This is a man who loved God. He's writing the Psalms. He is believing in God, clinging to his promises all throughout his life. But here's the big mistake. You notice in verse one, it says, David said, notice, in his heart. In his heart. You could circle that phrase and you could write next to it, to himself. David spoke to himself. Can I just let you know today, can I just remind you, can I tell you for the first time that when you're in a place of difficulty, discouragement, depression, you're the worst person to talk to. Do not talk to yourself. You will give yourself bad advice. You will run yourself in circles and the situation will become worse, not better. David had a habit of seeking the Lord and it got so bad for him that this time, he did not seek the Lord. This time, he did not cry out in prayer. This time, he did not write a song. This time, he did not fall face down in reverence and honor of God, and it got him in big trouble. Not only did it get him in big trouble, but it also got people close to him into big trouble. The mistake here is he started talking to himself, and that's where things get really mixed up and confused. And you know, today it's not just talking to ourselves. I think we need to expand that a little bit because, you know, in David's life, there's not even any, any instruction. There's nothing in the text that says he asked for godly counsel. He didn't call for the priest. The priest was with him. He didn't call for the priest. He didn't ask for any help. But, but here today, perhaps it's not just talking to yourself, but now there's so many voices to take in. And it's not just talking to yourself, but then you'll go on the computer and look up something on YouTube and you'll put it in the search bar and now you've got complete strangers telling you things that are confusing you or unhelpful. You've you got 60 seconds, so you give that 60 seconds to somebody on TikTok, 60 seconds after 60 seconds, and they're not helping you. They're not pointing you to the Lord. They're not calling you to prayer. They're not telling you to repent. And before you know it, all these voices, they influence you and make things worse. You think, oh man, it can't get any worse than it is right now. Oh, it can get worse if you take a difficult situation and start making bad decisions. It will get worse. And here he is talking to himself. Would you turn over to Proverbs chapter 3 with me, please? I want you to see this in your own Bibles. It's no coincidence that God would have me, as a new believer, memorize these two verses. These two verses, I have stumbled over, I don't know, hundreds and maybe thousands of times in my spiritual walk. They have become helpful to me, but I've also run right through them making mistakes. And if you haven't memorized these, I'm telling you, please memorize them. Hide God's word in your heart so you won't sin against him, so the Spirit can use it in your life. And if you've already memorized them, or if you want to read along, come with me on this journey. Verse 5, you ready? 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Read it out loud. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Oh, guess what? There's a verse 7. Did you see that? It's not just 5 and 6. There's also a verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. I know you may not never put these two things together, but difficulty, discouragement, temptation in making bad decisions, there's always a barrier of pride you have to deal with. And you have to lay aside your pride and humble yourself before the mighty hand of God so what? He can lift you up. Don't be wise in your own eyes. I know it's tough right now and I know it's difficult and I know the temptation to control and somehow get things back under control is ever before you, but don't be wise in your own eyes. Trust the Lord. Look to him. David runs right through this truth in Proverbs. Runs right through it. And because he runs right through it, he comes to the wrong conclusion. He's trusting in himself. He is listening to himself. And he comes to this conclusion, you know what, I'm going to die. Saul's going to get me. I can't keep running. I'm going to run and hide with the enemy. Now David's declaration of despair here, his false conclusion showed that he had lost faith in the promises of God. It had showed he had lost faith in the God of the promises. Those of you Bible students know that as a young child, it was promised to David that he would sit on the throne. He's still running right now. He's not on the throne. That is still yet future. God said, sent a man to him as a kid, bypassed all his siblings, poured oil over him of anointing, and this is the new king. This is the king of Israel. And year after year, he lived on that promise. Year after year, he lived trusting. Year after year, he lived looking. Even while he was on the run, he lived by faith, except in this moment. In this moment of decision, he's lost faith in the promises of God. Now, of course, when you're reading through the Bible, we know how the story ends. But you have to understand, David's living this real time. Just like you live your life, real time. You don't know what tomorrow brings. Your story's not over yet. You're unsure, which is what makes it difficult in how you make your decisions because you don't know tomorrow and you don't know next year and you're not sure how your story's gonna end. So you're fearful and you go, well, I'll end my story and I'll take care of my story and I'll write it all out. And God says, no, 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 you, you, you don't displace me. Don't displace me. Don't stop trusting me. I'm with you. I'll keep my promises. You know what David here at this chapter, he's about three years from being on the throne, just three years. His whole life has been brought to this moment in time where in just three more years, he will sit on the throne. And I really don't know what God has ahead for you, but just understand this, church. Your story's not over. The last chapter is not written. And I'm not entirely sure how God is going to use it, but you can trust the God of the promise and you can trust the promises of God. Be careful with this temptation. God had already declared and rejected Saul. He was a usurper on the kingdom at this time. 
But David was overwhelmed. And it was in that place of being overwhelmed that his faith begins to lapse. He begins to devise his own, our own escape plans. We start taking things into our own hands. And David stopped believing God would take care of him. David stopped believing that God would protect him. David stopped believing that God was sufficient to take care of all his needs. It is troubling for you and I to think that we can do something better. It's troubling to think, oh, I better do something myself because obviously, look, God doesn't care. God's not working. He's not going to do anything about it. Look, God's not keeping his word. God's allowing all this nonsense. Listen, this is something super important to receive. The minute that I think I can take better care of my life than God, the minute that I think I can improve upon God's plan for my life, the minute that I begin to think I've got to take this over and do it myself is the beginning of the end. It's disaster up ahead. The Bible commentator Warren Wiersbe, he comments on this section and I quote, God was using the difficulties in David's life to make him a man of God and to prepare him for the throne. But now he decided to go his own way and solve his own problems. God's children must be careful not to yield to despondency. Moses was discouraged over his heavy workload and wanted to die. Elijah ran from the place of duty because of fear and discouragement, 1 Kings chapter 19. But when we start to look at God through our circumstances, instead of looking at our circumstances through God's eyes, we will lose faith, patience, and courage, and the enemy will triumph. And then he quotes Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. Back in verse 1, not only was he speaking in his heart, but look at the conclusion he came to, is nothing better for me than. Now we may not use those words, but we've certainly been at that place where you assess your situation and you look at it and you go, man, there's nothing better for me, and then you have a decision. Nothing better for me. For him, it gives us a little glimpse into his thoughts. He's concerned about dying. He's tired of running. I think he's emotionally exhausted, physically exhausted, everything you can think of. But he still comes to a false conclusion. I mean, imagine. Imagine you declaring this, writing it, putting it on your Facebook, writing a book about it, whatever it might be. Imagine you saying, there's nothing better. Life is so hard. There's nothing better for me than to go back into the world. Nothing better for me than to turn my back on God. Nothing better for me than to go back to the bottle, go back to the bar, go back to the party scene. There's nothing better for me. I mean, it's just outrageous to think that we would ever choose a direction away from God, but so many do because life gets hard. Life is hard. Life will continue to be hard. In many ways, it is even harder for the follower of Christ. Because now you have this spiritual warfare, this spiritual difficulty where Jesus said, look, they hated me, they're going to hate you. They came against me, they came against you. They'll come against you. They, they crucified me. And you too will pay a high price for following me. And so we get to this place where the temptation to try to manipulate the situation is ever before us. When you think of this phrase, there's nothing better for me, 
really the truth is there's nothing better for you than to submit yourself totally to the will of God. There's nothing better for me than to trust in my faithful God. He's been faithful in the past. He is faithful today, which only shows me that he's going to be faithful should I have tomorrow. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you ever get to this place, there is nothing better for you than to trust in the Lord. That is the best choice. In the midst of the storm, in the midst of the difficulty, and there's nothing better than for you to rest in his care. There's nothing better for you to abide in his love. There's nothing better for you than to lean on his promises. Look to him for his approval and his help. And I'm sorry if that's where you are today. It's hard. It's, it's a hard place. It's challenging. You listen to a Bible study like this and go, oh, you know, another study. Oh, I, you know, he doesn't understand and I don't get it. And that pastor, and like, you can't take it that way. Look, we're all in the same place. You, you don't want to have the enemy then just keep messing with you, keep messing with you, keep messing with you, and then pushing people out of your lives. There is a way out for that feeling. It's choose to trust in God today. Choose to commit your ways to him. Rush in to the throne room of grace where? To find help in time of need. But don't take things into your own hands. You'll regret it. And you'll hurt a lot of people along the way. Did you notice? Did you notice here? It says that in verse 2 that David, he went through with his plan. And he arose and went over with them 600 men and their families. And what did they do? They went to live in the land of the enemy. They made their place at home. Remember the last time we learned about this was way back in the, in the book of Genesis. Remember what Lot did and his family? Lot went and chose for himself Sodom and Gomorrah and his family followed and Lot's life was vexed every moment of every day living. And it messed him up and his family. Here the decision was made to go to live with the enemy and 600 families followed David. That's significant for us to be reminded today that people follow you. People follow you in a real way, especially now that you've declared yourself in word and deed a follower of Christ. People follow you. I mean, especially as you're wearing those Christian t-shirts and the Christian ads and Christian bumper stickers, and you post all this Christian stuff on your social media. Well, you know what? A lot of people believe you. They believe you. You say you're a Christian, they go, okay. There's another believer, and whatever their opinion is, they believe you. And I'll tell you what, a lot of people that believe you never tell you. They just watch you. And they watch you. And they look to you. Because so many in our lives are troubled. And they know as well, they know very well that the pathway that they've chosen is not helpful. They know that the bottle doesn't help them. They know. Uh, that the joints don't help. They know that the bar, they know. They know, and so they watch you. One of the beautiful things that we enjoy as a church family, in every church family, is trust. It's the glue that holds us together. We have a mutual trust of one another. We, ha we have a trust in the Lord, and then we, it extends to trusting each other. I, I like to share with the leadership here and the pastors when we're training them, I like to say, trust is the currency of ministry. It is how we conduct ourselves in ministering. The more you trust me, the more you allow me to help you. And so I, I share with them, you know, when somebody decides to come to the property here for help and they get in their car, they drive over here. 
When someone picks up their phone and looks us up on Google and says, call, they, they, and they're looking for help here. When you come to a worship service, you start, whether you realize it or not, you start with a grain of trust. Why would you ever come here if you didn't trust us? Why, why would you ever call here if you didn't trust us? Why would you ever look to another believer if they didn't trust you? But here's the thing. With someone's trust, you can either build it or lose it. And without someone's trust, it's very hard to help them. It's very challenging. And trust is how we cooperate with another, how we help. So people that are watching your life, they've given you a measure of trust, even if they've never told you. Someone coming to you for advice, they've given you a measure of trust, even if they've never told you. And here David has all these men, I mean, they have built a significant amount of trust being on the run together for years. And so what do they do? David's going to the land of the enemy. He must know what he's doing. We're going to follow him. And they not only follow, not only the men, but they take their families, their wives, and their children. And now they're going to go dwell with the enemy, with all the influence of the enemy, with all the hatred of the enemy, with everything about them. What a bad decision that now affects 600 families. Listen, friend, this is a warning from God. Your bad decisions don't only affect you. They affect so many more people that trust you. That trust you. That watch you. That look to you in your life following Christ. Of course, none of us are going to give a perfect life. None of us are going to make every decision correct. But you know, we've learned, right? As believers, if we make a mistake, we repent. We admit it. We live an open, transparent life. We say, yes, I failed. Please forgive me. But David here, he makes a tragic mistake, being emotionally drained, fear and anxiety. He forgot God and he forgot the people around him. He forgot God and the people around him. Not only that, I want you to see another word here, another word. It says in, back in verse 1, as he's coming to the conclusion, he comes back and he says, I should speedily escape, speedily. Let me let you in on one of the tactics of our arch enemy the devil. It's to get you to act fast without thinking, without praying, without consulting. It's just that pressure that you feel, got to do it now. Got to do it now. Wrong conclusions almost always follow the word speedily, where you feel so much pressure that you've got to do it now. Whenever the devil is beginning to pressure you into action, it's always going to feel like it has to happen quick. The idea of hurry, don't think about it. Don't think about the consequences. Don't think about others. No need to pray about this. And, and I was sharing this at Refresh, this message at, the, at Refresh, and I had shared a part of it where, you know, how Christians, we will say, oh, I prayed about it, but you never prayed about it. It's just spiritual language. And so you're talking to somebody, hey, man, have you sure you prayed? Oh, yeah, I prayed about it, but you didn't. Because it's just a, a place of hypocrisy that slips into our lives where we want to look good before someone. But hey, you know, just pray. You, you should be praying about it. Don't say you're praying when you're not praying. And I use an illustration like that. So a brother came up afterwards and he gave, he is a pastor friend of mine. He said, oh, Ed, you won't believe it. I just had this situation. I was asking for counsel. So I had this brother come in and I'm sharing it with him and I'm expecting him to agree with me. And he asked me, well, did you pray about it? 
And I just immediately said, yeah, I prayed about it. Just give me my answer. I prayed about it. But I didn't pray about it, he said. It was the exact illustration of his life that happened the week prior. A pastor. And the Lord had spoken to him about it and showed him, even through this, this sense of, hey, we don't need to put on airs with people. We don't need, it only hurts us and the people that are close to us. And by the way, when we're hypocrites and we lie to one another, it erodes trust. And it takes away, we don't want that to be the pattern of our lives. How many times have we gotten into trouble with this speedily, hurry up, do it now. Even the modern day marketers understand this. They've got a warehouse full of a million of those things they're selling, but the commercial says, act now, call now. They put a little timer there. If you don't call, we're gonna run out. They're not, they're making them while they're making the commercial. They will not run out. And even those that artificially reduce their stock, they have a plan to make more. You never have to feel that sense with the Lord. He'll never pressure you, push you, prod you. The good shepherd always leads you. Always leads you. Now, let me just say, when we act before we pray, when we act before we think it through, when we act before we seek counsel, it's a problem. And it will lead to problems. There's no mention here. David knows what it's like to seek the Lord. He knows what it's like to pray. He knows what it's like to have the priest come. He knows all about it. But there's no mention of it happening here. No mention of him seeking the Lord. Just talking to himself and deciding. And so often we feel that pressure into actions that that we spend years regretting if we would just wait on the Lord like the psalmist says. Listen, if God wants it for you, it'll be there tomorrow. You don't have to worry about that. It'll be there next week. You can spend a week in prayer on it. And if God wants you to have it, it will still be there. And in those times of pressure, those times of being tired, overwhelmed, discouraged, Even so, God was still with David. And if you read through all the way to the end of chapter 29, God intervenes and rescues him. But it's painful. It's a part of his history. It's difficult and challenging. David will sit on the throne. God will keep his promises to him, but also keep his promises to you. And God is ready to remind you of his faithfulness morning by morning, day by day. And when you come to the place, church, when you're concluding there's nothing better for me than I plant this seed of the Spirit in your life today, there is nothing better for me than to trust in the Lord. That's it. Nothing better. Nothing better than to trust in the Lord. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.